What up, fuckers? And welcome to One Up Pod. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Hey, I need to get my editing notebook. I need to, the time code to edit that out is 0, 0. 0.00. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm going to do it again, so there's no point. That's staying in. <laughs> right. Sorry, I'll do it again. That's how far I'd catch you by surprise. <clears throat> it worked. It did. What up, fuckers? And welcome to One Up Pod, the monthly gaming podcast where we take a deep dive at a major game of note. I am your host for this month, Andy. And I am joined by Bash. Hello. Becky. Hello. And Chip. Hello. You okay there, Chip? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> just how say hello. It's not weird. He's, he's just worried about me being the host for this month. <laughs> yeah, very, very worried. Uh, uh, this month, anyway, moving on from Chip's fears, uh, we're going to be discussing Square's groundbreaking, game-changing JRPG masterpiece, Final Fantasy VII. Yes, woo. Uh, but before that, um, let, let's see how we're all doing, and more importantly, what have we been playing? And I feel like I've already been talking for too long, so uh, Chip, uh, tell us your secrets. <laughs> well, I can't tell you that, because the Inland Revenue might actually be listening to this podcast, so I might tell you about the games I've been playing, if that's all right. You can do that. That's fine. Okay, cool. Uh, well, I finished Dishonored. I was free playing Dishonored, and I finished it. Got the good end in. Thank you very much, before any of you say anything. You didn't kill any right. children this time, then? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think I saved a child, which I think is different to killing one. <laughs> Ever so slightly, yeah. It's semantics, but... Yeah, <laughs> semant- yeah, fine. yeah, yeah, you know, uh, tomato, tomato. Um, and I started moving on to the DLC, because the first time I played the game, I'd never played the DLC. So I started playing that, and it's really good. It's really, really good. And then I stopped playing that, because I bought Disco Elysium, which was on sale on Steam, and my entire life is now that game. Because I have only put it down to come record with you guys tonight. So, uh, big recommendation for Disco Elysium. I think I want us to do a episode on it. Andy suggested it earlier um, that we should do that maybe sometime in the future. Because it's great and I want you all to play it and everyone should play it. And I'm going to go play it. Well, not now, but as soon as we're done. You, you better not now. No, I can't. Yeah, be a bit awkward. Yeah, a little bit. If we hear you clicking stuff in the background, we're going to know you're playing it still. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, Becky, what about you? What have you been playing? So the one I want to talk about is um, a game called We Were Here from uh, Total Mayhem Games. Mm. It's a co-op game, so I played it with my friend the other night. And you play two explorers who were locked in a mysterious castle and you have to work together to find a way out. But the twist is that one person is in one room and the other is freely wandering about, so you can't see what the other sees. And it's really fun. Uh, the two hours like flew by. And it's the first in a series of games, so it's like quite like fun and bite-sized, um, as well as being quite tense in places and quite creepy as well. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, I definitely recommend that if you and a friend are stuck for a 
a gaming evening. I'm really annoyed that you finished it in two hours because it took me and my friend way longer to finish that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was playing it with like my oldest friend. So I feel like, you know, there's a level of synchronicity there. I was playing it with my cousin. That's family. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, I, I was trying to help We her. have blood in our bodies that is the same. I, I was trying to help you out. You're that's, the one, a, like... oh. that's a weird way of describing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it didn't help us either way. And it's free on PS4, right? Or it was free it on was. PS4? It was. I'm not sure if it is at the moment. But okay. yeah, it's definitely one looking out for, uh, worth looking out for. Hey, what about you, Bash? I have been playing, um, it was literally just the last weekend, demos from Ludo Naricon. So Ludo Naricon is a digital convention that celebrates narrative video games, indie games specifically. So you can imagine it was about as up my street as any kind of gaming convention could get. Um, and it was an initiative Yeah, that's of... basically Sasha Road. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> Um, it was initiative, an initiative of the indie label Fellow Traveller, so they published quite a lot of really cool games. And I thought what I would do is mention my favourite demos that I played. Uh, so I played Minute Violence. Minute Violence, it is like beautiful and also grotesque. Like me. <laughs> yes, like you. <laughs> <laughs> the artwork, it's all hand-drawn and it shows it's it's really really atmospheric and it's about a a girl mo who is on a quest to restart a bunch of i guess generators she's a mechanic in post-apocalypse world i got really stuck on one of the puzzles just by the way but still had a hell of a lot of fun there was also beacon pines beacon pines not a sex game (laughs) like me (laughs) yeah whatever (laughs) (laughs) but in all seriousness it was extremely my shit it had uh, a really cute aesthetic all the characters are like these little animals and you are one the character that you play is his mum has gone missing and his dad um is dead already and there's like a there's like a book and as you go through the story you pick up what they call charms but they're just words and then you can like go back in the book and change the the tree of how things happen so my first playthrough of the demo i had um one thing happen and then but it was like oh but you did collect a charm since your last so maybe try to change this decision and it was really cool i think that's a really cool mechanic uh, that you can keep changing the story and having different outcomes and I'm really looking forward to seeing how that plays out and then just the other one that I absolutely cannot miss mentioning was Kraken Academy with <laughs> two exclamation points it's holy shit it's just like it's it's just everything I want from a game <laughs> I'm it so has. glad you said it's good because as soon as I saw the title I was like oh my god I need it yes well you do it <laughs> has pixel graphics it has the sort of the Japanese visual novel stylings going on. There's a character called Broccoli Girl that's literally a piece of broccoli. <laughs> like me? No! Cosplay bo- broccoli? <laughs> <laughs> Again, it's another one of those kind of investigative type things. Your character has started at like a at Kraken Academy and there is a Kraken that you are then helping to I think save the school I'm not entirely sure but it was really cool and you know there were like another seven demos that I played that I'm not going to mention but Ludo Naricon head onto their website they've got all of the stuff that they were doing and they have some really cool games that I'm sure you'll still be able to find out info from their website 
and find some new indie developers that you might never have seen before. Cool. As far as me, um, I've finally become a Switch dickhead. <laughs> and I, I've been uh, playing a lot of Animal Crossing, like a year late, but, you know, better late than never. And I, I'm, I'm obsessed with uh, Scoot. He's a little green duck that likes to exercise a lot. And I, I'm just, he's just the best character ever. Yeah, but have you got ketchup on your island? No, fuck ketchup. I've got, I've got Sherb. Sherb is the fuck. best! No, ketchup! Well, ketchup didn't want to live with me, so ketchup can go to hell. Well, can you, get can your you blame own them, switch. to be perfectly honest? <laughs> get your own Switch. Get your own Animal one. Crossing island. No! And get ketchup no. on your own island. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Yeah, exactly. Like, through all of you. But we don't want to live fuck with you. ketchup. <laughs> Sounds great. I'll, I'll, I'll just be alone in my corner, like, standing scoot. <laughs> so, yeah, that, so that's what we've been doing. Very good. Very productive. <laughs> uh, normally on these franchise episodes, we do a brief history of the games in question. And since I'm the host, and I'm usually the history guy, I should probably hand over to myself. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> I was really worried you were going to hand it over to like me or something. Yeah, I know. I was like, I was like, no. I have not prepared Ooh, this. Please that, don't. That, that, that would have been oh a God, good idea. Don't, that. don't throw it to me. <laughs> that would have been a really good idea. See who's been doing the research. No, <laughs> no you all know it wouldn't it be us. me. So. No, true. I can make up a history if you like. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> Once upon a time. So, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <Is> <clears throat> So yeah, uh, Final Fantasy was created by Hironobu Sakaguchi in 1997 for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, the series became popular for its combination of sci-fi and fantasy elements and uh, incorporating a mix of mythologies from around the world. Uh, what made it stand out from other games in the genre was that uh, every entry was a standalone story. It's like the final fantasy of that story, I guess. Um, new characters, new stories, new worlds. It made the jump to the Super Nintendo with Final Fantasy IV in 1991, and uh, Sakaguchi served as director for the first five games before he taking on a producer role and handing the reins of the series over to Yoshinoru Kitase and Hiroyuki Ito, who would uh, direct the series for the foreseeable future. Um, they directed six together, but Kitase went on to direct uh, seven on his own, while Ito worked on Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh, the writer and designer of Final Fantasy VII, uh, Tetsuya Nomura, had um, been working on the series since Final Fantasy IV, and uh, he went on to create the Kingdom Hearts series and direct the Final Fantasy VII remake. The series, up to the point of Final Fantasy VII, had a really spotty release record in the West. The original Final Fantasy was released in North America over two years after the Japanese release, and it would not get a European release at all until it got a PlayStation remake in 2003. Uh, Final Fantasy 2 did not get a re- release outside of Japan until it was bundled with the PlayStation Final Fantasy 1 remake. Final Fantasy 3 also missed the West entirely. It got a handheld remake in the 2000s and early 2010s. Um, if you were an American fan of Final Fantasy, you wouldn't get a follow-up to that game until Final Fantasy 4 in 1991. And it was renamed Final Fantasy 2 in North America. And again, no European release. Final Fantasy V once again skipped the West. Final Fantasy VI was released in North America under the name Final Fantasy III. This is really confusing. <laughs> so um, we get to 1997 and Final Fantasy VII is released for the PlayStation worldwide. 
So for American fans, this is the fourth Final Fantasy game. And for European gamers, it was the first. So like Final Fantasy VII was simultaneously the first, fourth and seventh game in the series, depending oh on God. where you were born. Excellent. <laughs> <sighs> so like, thankfully, like because of the success of Final Fantasy VII, every game that followed um, was released worldwide and all the games that came before it got releases, consoles and handhelds afterwards usually in the form of polished up remakes, but there are fan translations available for fans who've got access to emulators if they want the true experience. But like none of that would have been possible without Final Fantasy VII. So, going on to Final Fantasy VII, the reason we are here today, and really the reason I'm here today doing a gaming podcast at all, I would probably would not be this into games if it wasn't for Final Fantasy VII. So, uh, let's talk about our first experiences with Final Fantasy VII, how we how we came across it. Um, so, uh, Chip, since I know you're a biggest fan of me, uh, let's start with you. How did you come across Final Fantasy VII? Oh boy, um, <clears throat> clearing the throat because you're emotional. <laughs> yeah, just sort of. I was just getting ready to talk, and I was like, "Yeah, this is gonna be uh, going be a big one." So, I came to it um, when I was about fourteen, and that would have been in two thousand and one when I had my PS One. Um, so growing up, I didn't have access to a lot of different kind of video games. You know, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so maybe have one or two a year. And then a lot of my experience of playing games was around a friend's house. Like he had parents who had a lot more money. So I used to be like, I'm going to be your friend because I want to play video games and you have (laughs) snares and everything. So, um, a lot of my experience from games came to that. So I was given Final Fantasy VII as a loan by, uh, a friend of my mum's husband. No, wait, my mum's friend's husband. Some bloke my mum knew. <laughs> <laughs> he lent me a bunch of games, uh, and I'd, I'd never heard of Final Fantasy VII. I'd never played an RPG, let alone a JRPG, on, you know, nothing like that before. And then one day, um, just on a whim, I just kind of smacked it into the machine and uh, started to play in it. And I, I, it, it's hard to think back now and kind of think about what it was that grabbed me straight away. It, it was like nothing I'd ever played before because, you know, my friend, he had like Tomb Raider and Resident Evil and stuff like that. So this was very, very different. And I think that's maybe what stood out for me, you know, initially. So I played it through the opening couple of uh, minutes and then instantly got stuck on the first boss because apparently 14-year-old me couldn't work out uh, not to attack when the tail was up when it specifically said do not attack when the <laughs> tail is up. So <laughs> I played that first kind of like, I don't know, what, half an hour or so? Just again and again and again, and then couldn't get past the boss. I couldn't. And eventually I was like, oh, I don't attack when the tail is up. Okay, I understand now. And then from there, the game just kind of opened up. And that's when, you know, you meet all the characters and get to know them and just kind of really fall in love with the game. And inevitably, I got stuck again and was just dying all the time. I didn't know where I was going. You know, <laughs> like when you haven't played a game like that, I think sometimes coming to it and trying to work out the mechanics of it and how that world is supposed to work is really difficult so i hit a point when i was in midgar still that i just couldn't get past i didn't know what i was doing and then i had this really weird thing happen i was in my granddad's car at one point i can't remember where we've been or where we're going i was just sat in the front and just being a bored teenager i opened up the what do you call it, the glove compartment or whatever we call it in the uk you know the little section in front of the car the glove compartment is that what it's called yeah okay I don't know why I thought that was an Americanism, but there we go, the glove compartment, there we go. (laughs) And just sitting in there was an extremely detailed uh, walkthrough for Final Fantasy VII. And, like, I remember picking it up with all this, like, wonder in my eyes, like, where did you get this book? And why did you not tell me you had it before? 
And my granddad, like, he never knew anything about video games. It wasn't anything that we discussed or anything like that. Like, he hadn't bought it for me or anything. He was like, oh, I don't know. Like, he's, he's a boxing coach. He was like, oh, maybe one of the boxing kids left in it. Otherwise, I don't know. So it was just this complete mystery of where this walkthrough had come from and immediately like found the page of where I was stuck and was like oh my god I know what to do now and Mm -hmm. that's how I was able to get through the game actually that and the fact that I bought a cheat memory card uh (laughs) where you can like just plug it into your playstation and it just gives you loads of cheats so I had like infinity health and stuff like that but it kind of glitched uh so it gave cloud (laughs) infinite health but it also meant none of the other characters leveled up so (laughs) there's a point in the game where any attack kills them instantly um and uh i know we'll talk about this later but the end boss took me literal hours and hours because it was just cloud versus sephiroth and like no (laughs) one to help (laughs) and much like andy you know said at the start about how you know if it wasn't for this game you know we might not be here today it's the same for me like this is more than a game for me it was it was a lifeline at the time so i started playing the game when i was out of school i left school when i was 12 didn't get back into education until i was about 16 uh, I had no friends at the time. Uh, I would barely leave my room. You know, it was, uh, it was a very hard time, very difficult time for me personally. So meeting all these characters and getting this story, it's one of the times I can, it's one of the real bright spots that I can pinpoint from my sort of early teenage years. Um, and I liked video games until then, but this was the first time that I felt like I loved a video game. And I was so wrapped up in one that it just consumed me. And that has been my story with Final Fantasy for the last uh, 20 years. Uh, That was my initial uh, experience with it anyway, and that's why it's such an important game for me, personally. Well, it's going to be hard to follow that, so uh, Bash, how about you? (laughs) Of course you'd come to me. (laughs) That's just who I wrote down first. Mm, mm. (laughs) I thought it was aggressively fine. That is the perfect thing to say after that story. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's it's fine. I'm is fine. It? I, Isn't well, it? Yeah. well you when, when did you when did you first play it? Uh, so I tried it back in the nineties, okay. um, a couple of times, and was just it just didn't do anything for me. And then I tried it again on the switch last year and it still didn't do a great deal for me and then i played it for the podcast and that that is and now that you is... love it and it's your favorite game ever <laughs> <laughs> it's okay just let chip hear what he wants to hear <laughs> thank you i'd love an omelette right about now <laughs> oh this is gonna be interesting as it get, progresses get, get someone else to make it uh right well uh becky what about you i, I don't have a history with this franchise at all. I think I laboured under the assumption until very, very recently that all the Final Fantasy games were sequential. So now we were on like oh, Final yeah. Fantasy 3 million. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm never going to catch up. So never mind. <laughs> and then you guys were like, we're going to do Final Fantasy 7 for the podcast. And I went, but I haven't played the other six. <laughs> and then found out that, you know, they're standalones. I had no real comprehension of what I was getting into and it took me a very long time to regress back to late 90s gaming. Um, <laughs> I really struggled with it at first of like the like the graphics and the gameplay and the mechanics of it um which I know we'll talk about later but yeah so it was an experience I think in showing myself <laughs> to Final Fantasy specifically this one. 
What 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 sort of experience? Uh, <laughs> a mostly positive one. <laughs> now I'm gonna get I'm, I, I'm gonna stop that joke now because uh, I think it's really cool that we finally have a game which I think we're gonna slightly disagree on in the friendliest way yeah. possible. Yeah, um, we're all coming cool. it from it's different experiences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like uh, you if you grew up watching Star Wars and then you showed it to somebody who'd never seen a Star Wars film before, and they just kind of went. Yeah, that's fine. And then you feel like someone's punched you in the stomach, but really it's just, you know, the experience is different. Yeah, I can I can take the pain of my friends not liking my favourite game of all time and just put it in a little shoebox and shove it under the bed. Are you sure? Because you're bringing it up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all right, Chip, I'm here. Thank you. Please tell me how about your experience, Andy, because that will, that will help me. Well, um, I'll just talk about how I first played the game. I'll talk about more about my emotional bullshit later on. <laughs> uh, I'm just delaying the inevitable. <laughs> so it, it was 1997. Uh, this game was like all over the magazines and stuff. It was like a big deal when it was coming out. I was well aware of the Final Fantasy games before then, but I'd never played one because, like I said, they were only released in North America and there was only three of them released. And importing games was insanely expensive back then. Seeing a Nintendo exclusive coming to PlayStation, a console that I happened to own, it was like, wow, finally, I get to play a Final Fantasy game. And not just a Final Fantasy game, it would be like my first RPG. And so that was just really exciting. It was like hard, it's hard to imagine now, like where like every genre is just everywhere. But like coming into a game, like an entirely new genre for the first time, it was like, it was the great unknown. It was like really exciting and a little scary. Was it going to be worth it? And I was getting the game for Christmas, but because I was a little cunt, I, I knew where my mum was hiding the stuff. So and there was no plastic wrap on the game because my mum obviously opened it to check all the discs were there because there was a lot of discs, which was unusual at the time. And so I could easily take it when she was at work. I'd take it out of the cupboard play it for like an hour or two put it back in so like when it got to christmas day i was like about i think i was on disc two by then <laughs> so like i was Surprise. my mum didn't have a clue though she she wouldn't have she wouldn't have known how far in the game i was so it's fine <laughs> so you, you, you your surprise you do you do yeah i mean i already knew i was getting it but i just didn't let her know that i knew where she hid it she wasn't a very good hider so i was just like she just assumed i was just really good at the game like somehow, like on day one. So, wow, you're doing really good in these boss battles. It's like, yeah. Kids are assholes. <laughs> yes. Little rebel would never be able to get away with that with me, though. I'd, I'd know. He keeps trying yeah. to call me a noob with gaming. I'm like, son. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I, I, I was... watched your Minecraft dungeon stream, and he was right on that occasion. Yeah. I mean, we've watched you stream a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we will be talking <laughs> about one of them some other time. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, like within like within like minutes, I knew this game was like a big deal for me, and like I knew it was going to be one of my favorite experiences. Like I had no idea that how big a deal it was going to be, but I already knew like within the first like ten minutes that this was something special. <laughs> Let's get into the game itself and talk about the uh, story, the characters, and the world building. 
So uh, before we get into that, I've got a question from one of our listeners. Kaz Artwork on Twitter, did you rename your characters? Yuffie is always renamed to Shampoo on each game I ever play. <laughs> I love that. I want to know the story behind that. I want to know I, why. I, I really wish, yeah, we should ask it afterwards. Yes. So, so I won't lie, I did at least one dirty name run on the game. Like, one one of my repeat players. Is that supposed to but, surprise but, us? No, yeah. I just I just try to be honest here. Yeah, okay. But like, but the one change I do remember making on my first playthrough, it was the only one I did. Uh, I renamed Yuffy to Buffy because it was the late nineties. <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can um, see that. I can see that. It, it it just made sense to me. I mean, the names rhyme. It wasn't it wasn't that deep. But uh, yeah. So anyone did anybody? I'm, I'm assuming Chip. Yes, you would have renamed the characters yeah. at some point. Yeah. Um, only on my initial run uh, so it's just first time because it gives you the option to change the name and I was like my name's Cloud Cloud's a rubbish name I'm going to use that so um, I think I must have watched GoldenEye quite recently because I renamed Cloud to 007 um, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so you seemed a bit like a secret agent sort of <laughs> um, <laughs> I renamed uh, Barrett Jackson and I don't know why mm. um and the only other character, <laughs> yep. And the only other character I renamed was Red Thirteen because I couldn't read Roman numerals back then. I didn't know what it meant, even though you know WrestleMania used them all the time. I wasn't sure, so I renamed Red Thirteen Neil. <laughs> now that that is not a surprise at all. Oh my god! Suddenly the Dungeons yeah. and Dragons names make so much more sense. <laughs> hey, it's my uncle's name, so I was just inspired, I guess. Neil. He's not a big lion dog, but yeah. <laughs> Neil. <laughs> when you know everything you know about that character, like he's a great warrior and stuff, you're like, oh, Neil. Here comes Neil to save the world. <laughs> I want to fight alongside Neil. <laughs> Neil is going to be in my party. <laughs> and I think that's the, uh, you know, once a month I have to pick up a bad thing I've done in this game, so I think it's going to be that this month. <laughs> Just the absolute disrespect to that really good boy. <laughs> oh, dear. So, um, also, as a follow-up to that, unless, you, yeah, do you, you guys have any names you've changed? No, I, I kept them Pro- because I thought I'd get too confused on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> I I kept them because I couldn't be bothered changing them. <laughs> <laughs> I already love uh, Sasha's approach to this game. <laughs> I love it's such a Goldilocks episode this one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, then as a follow-up question from uh, Crazy Murdav or Crazy Mur I, I don't know how to pronounce your name. Crazy Murdav or Crazy Murder V, whatever your name is. Uh, how did you originally pronounce the character names? Mostly, I pronounced them right, except for uh, Kit She, because uh, I, I no. called them Kit Seif. No, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I I, 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 looked, I looked I... I looked it up. That's how you pronounce. I it. don't care. It's wrong. <laughs> it's it's Kate Seif. I'm sorry. I will I will not change this. And it is Eris. It is not Aerith. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was also going to say, like, we all got Aeris wrong because the localization no. fucked us. No, everyone else is wrong. We're right. But <laughs> the, re- the remake changed her back to Aerith. Don't care. Aeris. That's her name. <laughs> I'm, I'm I know probably... the name of my own wife. And uh, was there already. Yeah. 
I that took longer than I thought actually until Chip revealed his um, marital status. Yeah. I don't know if I should point out that I mean Aries and not Kate Sith. I, I feel like that was obvious. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> It did need clarifying, probably. Okay, cool. <laughs> Just checking. The only other thing I got wrong was uh, Marco. I used to call it Mako. Yes. Which is a pretty minor thing, but yeah, it took me like nearly 30 years to realise I was doing that wrong. Again, I think we all did that though, right? Because it's Mako. It looks like Mako, but it apparently like it is Marco. Yeah. Also, I've heard people say Yuffie and not Yuffie. No, it's Yuffie. I'm going to Yuffie. Okay, good, good. Do you know Again, it's, we're um, right. it's Chocobo, not Chocobo? Chocobo. Oh, I'm going to say Chocobo, I'm sorry. No, but that, yeah, I was, again, my investment in this is relatively low, but I um, I know that it's Chocobo, not Chocobo. Because it's the sound they make when they run. They go, Chocobo, 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 Chocobo. Uh-huh. That's how but, I know. <laughs> but it's apparently said Chocobo. I, I just we got to get a lot of angry tweets, aren't we? Everything like Chip and Andy said it because I assumed they knew because <laughs> they'd played it so much. <laughs> there's, there's no voice track. It was only till the remake where we started hearing names said properly, and like a lot of the characters aren't in that yet. So it's not that's not our fault. I'm really worried we're going to meet Sid in the remake and it's going to be like, oh hi Darren. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you're not in charge of naming things. <laughs> Onto the character. We may as well just get into the main characters right now. Now that we've talked about how to say their names wrong, or possibly <laughs> right, is there any any favourites among the the core cast? I know Chip's married to one of them apparently in his head. Kate Sif. Kate Sif. Ketchy. Am I allowed to talk about how much I love Zephyroth at this bit? Not yet. Okay. <laughs> you, you need to. I just want to get that in there. Like, we're gonna get there. Okay. I like it was like oh it was talk about the characters we love. Can I talk about Sephiroth? No, I meant, no. I meant the core cast, <laughs> the the playable characters. Oh. Okay, that's fair. I wish Sephiroth was a playable character. So do I. I throw him off a fucking cliff. <laughs> Imagine all like the extra like hair flicks and things you could do. It'd be amazing. Is this gonna turn into a Sephiroth fan cast? I'm sorry. I just love a hammy goth villain. <laughs> I mean, speaking of hammy goths, Vincent Valentine. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love Vincent. He's just he's great. So very. What, there's that bit near the end of the game where he does the backflip out off the out of the scene yeah. just for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Like... Cloud says everyone thinks he's cool. <laughs> then he just backflips. She's like, "Oh, am I?" And then does a backflip across the airship. <laughs> yes, Vincent. Yes, you are. <laughs> so I, I I also love uh, Yuffie and her uh, or Yuffie or whatever you want to call her and her uh, chronic motion sickness. <laughs> it, it's just it's just a perfect character quirk for a game where you have to travel like a world map the entire time just, oh I feel terrible so, oh poor Yuffie Yuffie well that's what you get for being a thief <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, I mean, we should probably mention her kleptomania as well right? yeah I was gonna yeah. say like famously she was a character that took me a long time to warm towards like I think it took me a few playthroughs before I liked her and there's even some where I've just never bothered to pick her up as well because obviously she's one of the optional characters mm. yeah sometimes it's just a lot of work yeah yeah well I got really lucky because I played it again obviously for this and then I picked her up picked her up like <laughs> I came across no not came across her I what, found what her in a forest no, no, hold on. <laughs> oh god what, this what escalated Seif, really quickly <laughs> I, I found her straight away. Because like, obviously you have to roam the forests of the world to try and uh, Pick find her. Up. her. <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> just a, you're just a Final Fantasy Lothario. <laughs> I'm choosing my words very carefully right now. Mm-hmm. You should. 
Go on, continue. Oh, no, that's it. Oh, that's it. Oh, never mind. I thought you were going to say more about <laughs> who you wanted to pick up. <laughs> I'm a married man. <laughs> Widowed. I, I thought, you said, we'll, we'll I thought you said weirdoed then. I was like, definitely not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that, yes. yeah. Yeah. It took me a while to warm to Cloud as like a central figure. And I think it was only when Andy described him as like the perfect himbo that I was like, oh, yeah, I get it now. <laughs> and like, sort of like, as his story unfolded, I sort of warmed more to him. And like, Tifa especially, I think. Like throughout the story, I really liked how their relationship developed. Yeah, I, I really like um, like teeth. Like I think this game, like a lot of people came across it when they were quite young, and like a lot of these characters became their first like big gaming crush. And I think uh, Tifa was probably mine. I, I think Eris was a better fit for Cloud, but I always liked Tifa more. I like their friendship. I think it's a really nice yeah. thing. Like the way that develops through the story, and then obviously the re- uh, revelations about their kind of you know how they knew each other before and their real history like i think it comes together quite nicely yeah it, it takes its time with the with friendship yeah it's, yeah it's nicely developed and like the the final like right at the end when cloud is having his identity crisis like it reminded me of um willow and xander at the end of season six when xander's talking mm. it down oh yeah that kind of link to friendship and grounding an identity crisis in that kind of relationship. The yellow crayon moment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I, I liked how like the the game like introduced you to the main the main four one by one. Like, I mean, Barrett's quite underdeveloped. Yeah. For the for the first part, like it gets a bit more depth as he goes along. And one thing the remake does a lot better is it fleshes him out more, gives him a bit more personality. But like, Cloud and Tifa and Aeris get a lot of good time before the uh, before the big crescendo of the first act. With, in the Shinra building, so um, I especially liked Eris's introduction when she meets uh, Cloud in the church. Thought that was a nice little way of getting to know Eris's character. It's not really a character I dislike out of the playable ones, you know. Like, you know, I'd always have my set parties or anything like that, but they're all really unique. Like, they're all yeah. quite different from one another, which is really cool, especially Kate Sith, like, because it's just a robot cat on a big moog. Like, that's <laughs> very different to the rest of them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I was not a fan of Sid. I didn't like Sid. He was just really horrible and rude to everyone. Uh, that, that, well, that's why I, I liked him. He was well, just yeah, like... obviously. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Well, not, not just yeah, but yeah. That, uh, just I just like how every character brought a different dynamic to the group. Yeah, like, there's mm-hmm. a lot of variety in the characters. There's a lot of variety in the the non-playable characters, like the the villains, like the Shinra Bard group. Like, there's a lot of different odious personalities there mm. but mm-hmm. they could not be bigger Tories if they tried <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah it's our it's our monthly who's a Tory in this game I, Yay, I, it's I, prom- I promised Ben that I'd I'd slam the Tories at least once on this podcast so nice nice easily done with the Shinra thing as well like um people gripe about like politics in gaming acting like it's a new thing that's infecting the medium but then you look at Final Fantasy 7 with a uh, Shinra like it's just staunchly anti-corporation eco-terrorists are the heroes and one of the key antagonists is a power company that wants to find paradise and strip of its resources to make profit (laughs) yeah no politics there at all no politics there and they treat the poor like cannon fodder just to get their uh, get their targets like when they drop the 
the upper plate on the slums just to kill six people. <laughs> it's, yeah, like, no politics at all. There's, there's nothing right-wing about the way they behave. Oh, God, Andy, can't you keep your woke agenda out of my game? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, it's interesting not... that they never address uh, Avalanche kind of being terrorists and, like, the damage they do till quite late on in the game as well. Because uh, they kind of bring up, like, how many people do you think were killed in that reactor blast? Yeah. And it's, you know, they kind of later on in the game kind of realise, like, oh, you know, yeah, we, we've got to do things slightly different maybe. But, again, it's just a great part of that story is the journey that they kind of, their outlook on life, it's very much sort of like, no, we're going to stop them or we're going to do this to the point where they're like, no, we're going to save the world. But also, you know, our friendship is really important and the people around us now are really important. And this new family that we've all got is really important as well. Yeah, and I think the story is still quite timely um, in a way that I wasn't expecting, especially with the idea of like the corporations consuming resources to the point of destroying the planet. I mean, obviously, climate change and um, the global warming crisis was very much known about in the 90s. You know, I remember being taught about it in primary school, but it didn't seem quite the same pressing matter that it is now. So that I felt yeah. very relevant while I was playing the game this time around. This time around? I've only and played it once. What am I about? played it once. At this time. And, <laughs> and, the, uh, and now we've got all the talk about going to Mars and like starting up shop there sort of thing. Yeah. And like this in, in the, in obviously in Final Fantasy VII, there was the whole space program where they were trying, like Shinra were going to take over and like fly off somewhere else, but then they plot take so many fucking swerves and they decide <laughs> they're going to co-opt the space program and use it as a weapon instead. Which is also, you know, taking things that are supposed to be peaceful and using them for bad things. Yeah. N- nothing, nothing tory about that. <laughs> <laughs> so in the uh, Shinra building, like that whole section, that that's where we first meet Red Thirteen and uh, Professor Hojo, who like I think he's the actual, the real villain of the the game. Yes. Because he does so many of the characters in the game. Something like he's responsible for something terrible that's happened to them. Even Sephiroth. Like, Sephiroth would not be the way he is if it wasn't for Professor Hojo being such a fucking cunt, basically. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. He's I also really creepy fair. as well. He was, a, he was a major creep. Like, who takes your pregnant wife and, like, starts, I know, I'm going to shower you in magic radiation and see what happens to our baby. Fucking monstrous. And they, obviously he uh, orphaned Eris and he tortured poor red 13 and then tried to get him to bang oh yeah oh yeah 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 <laughs> it's always a little when i read come out of it i was like oh yeah this is he's a weird fella he's I a keep, weird when, fella when i when i leave those scenes i would just kind of tell myself no he was hoping red 13 would attack her but no he was yeah he was he was trying to get them to just try to see what happens yeah, mm-hmm. yeah he wanted to breed them because their races were dying out and you're like dude I don't, think, uh, <laughs> come on. A, I don't think he understands how races work <laughs> how's that going to help you i was them? really worried about where you were going with that then no I, I, i'm like i say i'm in deep denial about that scene <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable even going into it now thank you chip thank you chip for bringing that up you're welcome so that, that, yeah, let's move along from that very quickly <laughs> uh, so like in this scene like this section is also where we get our first like hints of sephiroth but we don't actually see him yet there's the scene of the blood trail leading up to President Shinra. And this is one of the first big uh, tonal shifts in the game where it turns it gets very, very sinister all of a sudden. 
it's like almost pivoting into like you know like a horror game which is just completely unexpected when you've been playing up to a certain point and i really liked how they kind of established Sephiroth as this like boogeyman but you don't really see him until later on it's just you wonder oh god who's this Sephiroth he's obviously fucking nuts he's amazing <laughs> <laughs> I think is, is this where you want to go and tell us how much you love Sephiroth, Becky? He's just so extra and compensatory with that massive sword, and I think it's hilarious. Yes. Yeah, the, the, it's it's such a good intro to his character, the the Nibelheim flashback. It's like one of the first big things you do when you leave the world. It, it's even more interesting to re- when you're replaying it and you're taking into account the unreliable narrator aspect, mm. where you realise Cloud's memories aren't accurate at this point in the game. And like looking out for the real cloud in his little uniform with his mask on. Hmm. Like just hanging around. Like, oh, I want to be a soldier, but I'm crap at it. <laughs> so, sorry, Cloud, you've, you've been through a lot. I shouldn't be so harsh to you. But yeah, um, I, I just love um, Sephiroth's like gradual unravelling in the, uh, the Shinra mansion. Yes, I mean, it goes without saying, given my tastes, that that was my favourite part of the game. Um <laughs> Because great gothic mansion, there's a creepy cellar library, Zephyroth is just swanning about like this gothic prince of darkness effort. Oh, it's just great. I love that bit. <laughs> then there was the yeah, fire. I was gonna, yeah, I was going to say, like, just uh, the whole idea of, like, this guy just locked himself in a basement library full of, like, creepy jars and fucking dusty books, just reading all day and all night. Nobody goes down to bother him, and he's just going slowly insane down there developing this massive messiah complex it's like, holy shit it's really just so crazy and absurd but kind of sinister at the same time yeah i think it does a really good job of establishing him as antichrist figure almost in that he thinks he's messianic but is obviously just about to kill the world and like I love the shot of the him with the fire burning in the background where the music like really swells and it's all very dramatic. And yeah, I think it's a really good kind of setup for the rest of the story and for him as an enemy and an integral part of everyone else's journey as well. I mean, this is really hard for me to talk about because obviously it killed my wife. So um, <laughs> I'm just trying to get through this as best as I can, I guess. Uh, no, he's awesome. It's, uh, I mean, like I was saying at the start, like it took me so long to kind of progress in the game. So he was always this kind of presence that you, you never met and you only heard the name and the reputation and you saw the damage that he did and with his like fucking massive sword. Yes. <laughs> so he, like in my head, he kind of got built up really big before I even met him. And I think, uh, the actual reveal as well, it doesn't disappoint. Like the setup works really, really well. And then where he goes after that and who he actually is, it just it just flows really nicely. And it's just, for me, he's one of the best. I mean, I know I'm biased because I love this game, but he's, he's one of the best villains, I think, in games. Absolutely, I think so. That he's, he's got, He walks that fine line between being ridiculous but also pure evil. Like, the, the, some of the most entertaining villains are, like, kind of absurd but also extremely dangerous. Like, Alan Rickman was great at walking that line. Yeah, it's, so it's many that different kind roles. of like complete ham who can turn like on a dime into something really, really sinister and violent and you're never quite sure because they are so ridiculous. You're never quite sure when that turn's going to happen, which makes them all the more sinister. Yeah, 
I think like one of my favorite bits in that whole bit in the library is where he's like stomp like because obviously it's quite primitive animation. He's like stomping down the like the corridor sort of thing, and Cloud just stood behind him like, "What are you doing?" And then he stops and says, "Out of my way! I'm going to see my mother." And then <laughs> the then uh, the those chosen by the planet kicks in. Like that's that theme one of because like Sephiroth's got two oh. themes that tells you everything you need to know about him. <laughs> he, he needs two themes to encompass how evil he is, and then he just he walks off and you can't catch up to him. And by the time you get out of the mansion, everything's on fire. He was he just works fast. I know you have to take some kind of creative license there, but it just feels like everything just escalated as soon as he walked out of the mansion. Oh, I could believe it of him as well. Yeah, I could believe he could just set a town on fire within three seconds. Yeah, well, they establish how powerful he is, like in, like what before he goes insane. That scene with the dragon that attacks you, yep. he just takes yep. that thing out with one hit. So, like using the in-game mechanic that you're so used to, the combat system, to establish how powerful he is, that was a really good idea of the on theirs. They could have done that in a cutscene, but instead they use it in an actual thing. What you think? Oh, I'm going to have a fight with a dragon. And you do fuck all to it, and then Sephiroth just die yeah, out vision, of the way. Like I got an attack in, and it was like two hundred hit points or something, and I was like, "Yeah," and then died. And I was like, "Oh, yeah. never mind." <laughs> and then, and Sephiroth just wipes him out with one hit. Yeah. Don't worry, Cloud. I'll use my massive fucking sword. <laughs> it really is like hilariously large. There's a lot of like weapon compensation going in the game, but Sephiroth's is particularly like he just he need his sword needs to be bigger than everyone else's. Yeah. <laughs> well, he goes for length, and Cloud goes for girth, so maybe yeah. that's the difference. Well, well, Zach went for girth. For that's girth. true. Yeah, Cloud. Uh, Cloud just inherited Zach's, Zach's girth. Since we are talking, we're talking about Sephiroth being the most evil bastard alive. It's probably time we get to the most evil thing he ever did. Do we have to? We do. I don't want to, but okay. we do. But but first, uh, Becky, <laughs> would you like to explain to us like how you experienced this like monumental scene in gaming history? Because <laughs> it, it was it was something, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. So. So when I was playing this game, um, I knew Sasha was playing it as well, but she was playing it a bit further behind. So I was messaging Andy and Chip with thoughts separately. And we got to the bit where <laughs> you're, it's the Temple of the Ancients first, isn't it? And then it's the forest where, or you go back? I can't remember. Uh, I think it's the forest, then the Temple of the Ancients. Okay. You have to go through the forest to get there. Yeah. So we'd had the big reveal that, she or Kate Sith slash was a spy and they did the big sacrifice to get let everyone go free and Andy and Chip had said there, there was this big sad moment coming up and I needed to prepare emotionally so I was thinking okay well that wasn't that sad so there must be something else and then you find that Eris has left and she goes off on her own. And I was like, oh. And I knew it was to do with Eris. So I thought, well, that's it. And I wasn't that upset. I was like, oh, God. Am I really, like, <laughs> am I really cold-hearted? Like, am I dead inside? And had a minor existential crisis. Because I was talking to the guys who were going, oh, it's so emotional. It's so, like, depressing. I'm so sad. And I was like, oh, it's not that bad. Like, she just... <laughs> 
that's because you came into the chat and you're like, I got to that bit, guys. Yeah, because I, I got thought to it that was bit. that bit. <laughs> like, oh, thought... mate, are you okay? Like, oh, yeah, we know what it's like. And then Chip and mentioned, the... like, skewering Eris. And... <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> subtle about it at all. Like, what happened? It was very clear. <laughs> but I didn't realise, because I misread that as, like, Cloud, because Cloud attacks her in the scene before, she, like, when he comes to. You thought Chip was being dramatic. So, yeah, I thought Chip was being hyperbolic. And I was like, I don't get this. So it was late. I put the game down before you get to that bit. (laughs) And I come back to it probably a couple of days later and go through the next bit where Eris is killed and then messaged Andy and Chip like, wait, she dies? (laughs) (laughs) And they were both like... "Um, what yeah, the fuck? what? <laughs> it's like fucking deja vu. We've had this chat. <laughs> I don't what? understand. Have you, have you been denial for this long, Becky? What the <laughs> fuck? And then it transpired that we'd been having two very different conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and like to be honest, that made it all the more shocking because I was like completely not expecting it by that point. <laughs> so yeah, it was a it was an emotional that was roller coaster. So weird. But yeah, yeah you, I mean, you said, "Oh, I'm crying now." It's like, well, we thought you were crying <laughs> before. <laughs> I don't think we offered much sympathy at that point because we were like, we were done, we were over it, we'd been there for you at that point. Yeah. And then you were like, "No, we need it now." We was like, "No, we're done. We've, yeah, we've given you that. that. We can't go back and relive it now." We were, we were really sympathetic when you were just sat, you were just like, "Oh, I've been you ran away in a forest." Like, oh, that's a bit sad. But yeah, like you, I had a proper you two big wimps. Why you sad about like, that? Am I a sociopath? Like. Am I just not experiencing... Or are these two just a bunch of fucking yeah, pansies? Like, <laughs> maybe this was more impactful, like, when you were younger. Like, I don't know. It was a different time. <laughs> girls leave in the girls 90s. running away in the forest was a lot more traumatic <laughs> back in the 90s. And so, yeah, it was it was an experience. <laughs> and I'm still not quite sure oh, how Christ. it happened. But... I really wish I'd got the transcript. Like, I really just gone back and found it and just read it verbatim <laughs> about what the comment, how the how the okay. conversation transpired, where we were so clearly talking yeah. about Eris's death. <laughs> like, what I think we should do is uh, we should find that transcript and do a separate dramatic reading. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that would be exchange. fun. Especially me, like <laughs> arriving two days later, like she dies. <laughs> I think I did put it two all days in caps later. as well. I was like, what? <laughs> so yeah that was my experience of iris dying it was very different to everyone else's yeah i really wanted to lead with that because that's to soften the yeah soften what follows (laughs) so uh chip why don't you talk about the death of your beloved (laughs) (laughs) okay um i'm I'm only doing this because i don't want to talk about it yet yeah it's hard because it's a moment in gaming and gaming that still affects me to this day like you know it's coming and you dread it coming and then when it happens it's it's just still really sad uh like all the character reactions because you do you you know you grow to love eris and kind of you know she starts off with this is for kind of very innocent character and then you learn that she's actually this ancient being and uh or at least you know from a race of the ancients and the way she connects to everyone and their reactions to her when she is skewered. <laughs> I bore my, the first time I played it, I bore my eyes out. Like, I just... Because it's the first kind of death in, in maybe just media in general, you know, like films, you know, reading, anything like that, that just 
broke my damn heart. Like, it might be my first heartbreak um, as a kid, as a 14-year-old coming across this. And, uh, yeah, I still think it's an incredible scene. Like, you know, it's it's 25 years later or whatever it is, and it's you know it's coming, and it still holds up. The power of that scene is still there. And I think that's a testament to the game and how kind of, you know, the quality of the writing and the characters that it can still be so impactful, you know, going back and playing it today. My poor wife. <laughs> so, uh, Sasha, did you um, burst open a bottle of champagne when Eris died? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, for one thing, I'm allergic to grapes and that would kill me. So <laughs> That's the only thing that stopped you well, there. What about a party popper then? Just like, oh, <laughs> yay, she's gone. No, I, I, I feel like just maybe that drama. just because I didn't love the game, it doesn't mean I disliked the game. I don't. I'm just um, I'm taking the piss because I don't know Chip will be. <laughs> 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 Might be funnier if following Chip's very like sincere. Like, mm. is your fine. monthly picket you picketing this game outside my house? <laughs> This game I mean, is it fine. Can be. This game is fine. <laughs> Aggressively fine. fine. <laughs> well, that, that's what makes it worse. Uh, did this did this scene touch you? Are you are you you know? Do you have human emotions? <laughs> I think that's a topic for a different podcast. Um, <laughs> right. So I already knew. I knew. I I knew the entire story of the game like before playing this. I've known it for years. Yeah, it's got a big reputation, that scene, especially. It was a thing that I knew was coming to the point, almost to the point where I knew when it was coming as well. And I think there are certainly a lot of elements of the game overall in terms of gameplay and meandering elements that mean overall it sort of hampered my enjoyment of the game. So whilst it was sad and I did enjoy the story throughout, but, and you know, that was a sad moment, I didn't cry and considering I cry at every fucking thing and almost every day, um, <laughs> Sasha's oh sad life. Um, <laughs> um, Sasha's sad life. Pick it up New segment. Well, we're pivoting into being a therapy um, podcast. So <laughs> I cannot state enough that I really wanted to love this game because I know how much you two enjoyed it, and I know how much. You know, even like my partner, it's his favorite game in the whole world. But yeah, no, it didn't. It it didn't get me to the degree it did you guys. Yeah, uh, no, that's fair. Especially like if you weren't into the game by that point, it's it's something you have to be really attached to Eris and all the other characters, and be invested in the story to really take along with it. So like for me, yeah, the like with Chip, the death of Eris was like possibly the defining moment of like gaming for me and i know a lot of people it's the same way like you look at the youtube comments of like a video of that scene and there's people like saying like 20 years later and it still hurts sort of thing it definitely for me it changed my perceptions on what stories in games could do and the effect they could have on me emotionally because like before that like i was just playing like mostly like platformers and beat em ups and stuff where you don't really have characters die other than like Mortal Kombat, but that's kind of the point. So this was like my first experience of like grief for like a video game character, especially. Uh, it's something like games have done really well, like tapping into since like uh, Red Dead Redemption Two and The Last of Us Two, like getting mm-hmm. like. Uh, but this was like the first one for me, and I imagine for a lot of people, 
you spent so much time with this character and then suddenly they're not there and you start to miss their little interactions and their little mannerisms and there's just things you're noticing aren't there anymore and it really like just like stuff like her like gently teasing Cloud because he's super serious and brooding or like offering support to a character yeah it was a genuine feeling of grief at the time I I, I cried just like Chip and I, I felt like distraught for a long time after it I oh, feel like it put me now just hearing you say that it, it, it put me in like it put me in a proper uh, I think it put me in the right mindset for the rest of the story because the whole the rest of the story is really about honouring Eris and doing it for her because like they've got to finish the job because they find out obviously they find out that Eris's plan worked and she had re- she had successfully reached the planet but Sephiroth is blocking her spell from doing what it's supposed to do to save the world so like I felt extra motivated to like kick the shit out of Sephiroth because <laughs> we needed to make sure Eris' death was for something yeah fuck Sephiroth <laughs> yeah and I mean you speak about Sephiroth's theme as well her theme uh, it's oh, just, just absolutely beautiful yeah I picked up I don't think I have it anymore but I had an album of a live orchestra uh, performing the music from Final Fantasy 7 and that's that theme being played like that is I, I still like yeah I still get teary eyed listening to oh, it. it yeah it's, so, it's it's got that weird mix of being incredibly sad because of the attachments to it but also it's just a really beautiful piece of music as well and the orchestra version especially is just like stunning i would uh highly recommend people seek that out if they can i mean i know we're going to talk about the soundtrack but yeah that's particular one of my particular favorite pieces of music from that game yeah. um i think it's stunning and it still has i still get a gutter reaction to it whenever i listen to it nowadays i i don't want to talk about the remake too much but like seeing mm. that when it gets to the bit when the remake in the the opening cinematic and you see mm. Ares's face like in the, the marco embers and the music starts playing like i i like had a physical reaction to it like i started yeah. getting i felt my breathing kind of <sighs> yeah and that was the like, trailer as well right or like yeah. the, the initial teaser trailer the announcement trailer whatever you want to call it i was like my eyes like started well up. i was like oh she's back yeah like, <laughs> it was like really <laughs> and like when you go back to her house and her music starts playing like it's a really lovely re- reinterpretation of her theme are you two okay? Do we need a minute? Uh, all right. We're not supposed to get emotional until the end. <laughs> I thought we penciled that in. <laughs> well, no, I wrote again. I cry again. So yeah, it's just yeah. really like just it. It still hits me hard, like especially the music. Like you said, that the theme just brings back a lot of memories. Okay, from one traumatizing sad moment to another. Uh, Chip, <laughs> do you want to talk about Cosmo Canyon? <laughs> Do you know what? I do. I'm glad we're doing it in this order because, I mean, I cried in this game. I always cry in this game twice. And once is obviously with Eris and the next is in the Cosmo Canyon bit. I feel like we haven't spoken about Red 13 very much. Apart from the fact when we were speaking about him uh, breeding with Eris, just to bring that up again for Andy. Um, (laughs) But Red 13 is one of my favourite characters. And there's a section of the game when you go back to his hometown, Cosmo Canyon, you meet his grandpa which i don't think is by blood and you you learn along the way that red 13 is very angry at his father for abandoning his uh, mother and the the town during you know a big war a big combat section uh and his grandpa takes you on a little journey 
through Cosmo Canyon, through this big old vault. And it ends with Red 13 finding out that his dad is actually a hero who is still protecting the town and he never abandoned them. And he does sad woos and it just rips my heart apart because it's so <laughs> lovely. And it's... Sad woos. It's sad and it's so oh. hard to talk about because it's so and, gorgeous. And, 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 <sighs> the stat- and the statue that his father turned in who starts crying. Yep. Yep. Like me. God, you're a statue that cries. I am. I am. (laughs) At least, at least this isn't tragic. Yeah, this is, this is happy cries in a way. Yeah, it's 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 nice that he's reconciled his feelings with his father. Yeah, one of my favorite sections of the game because it's just such a lovely tender moment, and and a game that has a lot of moments. This is a highlight one for me. Um, Gets me every time, and the Cosmo Canyon theme. If we're going to talk about the soundtrack again, is just. Like, it's just a piece of music that I will find myself humming around the house just every now and then. Like, it just burrows its way into my head and doesn't leave for a couple of days. It's one of the best pieces of music, one of the best sequences in the entire game. Um, and, yeah, I love it. I love Red 13. He's he's my boy. I, I really couldn't add anything more to that. Yeah, you said it perfectly. I think, for me, that moment hit me more than the heiress thing to be oh fair. thank god i really worried what you were going to say uh, yeah, I, was <laughs> yes. I think the it whole the thing pause. was just a waste of my time no. <laughs> that should be uh. the trailer <laughs> it's a waste of 30 to 40 hours give or take the episode title in which bash wastes her time <laughs> <laughs> Again, quite remarkable considering the amount of things I do waste my time doing. I really loved Red Thirteen. You say he was your boy. I, I kind of, as character Scar would have said, he was my boy. I felt probably more invested in his character than several others. Um, mm. I don't know if that just says more about me and how I attach to animals <laughs> in, in any medium. I'm like, ah, oh, animal friends. Animals. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Humans, bleh. No. Animals, yes. <laughs> Sadder woos. Sadder woos. I mean, if we want to talk about names as well, I mean, do you think there's purists out there? They're like, no, he's not Red Thirteen. It's Nanaki. That's his actual name. Please don't call him Red Thirteen. There will be, but you know, they can fuck off. <laughs> hey, at least we're not calling him Neil, okay? No, we. we I, I staunchly refuse to call him Neil. <laughs> I'm going to call him Neil if I ever play this game again. <laughs> the next time you play it, you won't be able to unsee that. Yeah, yeah it'll be Neil now from now on. When you play the remake, you'll be like, oh, there's Neil. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Neil. What's what he doing, Gwaris? Oh, no. <laughs> Saddle Like Chip said, uh, Cosmo Canyon's are re- uh, just one of the, the, the highlights of Final Fantasy VII. There's a place to visit. Uh, there's, there is a lot of really memorable like amazing places to visit in the, the the big world of Final Fantasy VII. Like they've all got a very distinct identity, which I really like. They have like the Midgar slums and like the upper part of Midgar are like worlds apart. And then you've got like Nibelheim, which is like a little quaint little village. They've got Junon, which has got like a little fishing village underneath. And then this big like fucking fortress on top. And there's like the Golden Saucer. Costa del Sol, they all feel like distinct, and that's what I love about this game. Like with a lot of open, with a lot of world design in games, there's a tendency to make everything connect and like make sense, and that's just not really how these things work. Like in, in games like The Witcher Three 
or even like Final Fantasy 15, they have a habit of trying to make sure everything feels like it belongs beside each other and it just feels quite homogenous even in the best possible open world designs there's that sort of feeling of sameness whereas with like Final Fantasy 7 it's I feel like it's more plausible like we don't really live in a world where everything looks the same you go to any corner of the world and you're going to see things that don't aren't possible like back home it's like it's like almost like a completely different planet you're going to and that's what makes like the world of Final Fantasy 7 feel so like big and unpredictable and alive yeah i can definitely confirm that there's now in sheffield that they do chocobo racing so (laughs) (laughs) have you looked (laughs) no yeah so how can you confirm it then oh my god (laughs) 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 i'll be right back so has has anybody got any um highlights of places to visit in final fantasy 7 any other than like cosmo canyon which already mentioned I don't like specific places, but I really enjoyed how you interact with the world map. Because you remember on like ITV when they did the weather reports on like the massive, like floating. Oh like, yes, like, yeah. Oh <laughs> People yeah. would fall in. Like that's what I felt like running around as cloud <laughs> from that massive world. <laughs> like I could just hop over and be like, "Oh, the sun is shining in Nebelheim today." <laughs> well, yeah, it's on fire. <laughs> yeah. Dark. <laughs> this was not a comparison I was expecting tonight. No, but that's like that's how it felt. Like because he was so big and it looked like he could just step. Like it really annoyed me when I got to a stream and it was like you can't cross this. It's like are you kidding? He is a giant. Like <laughs> he is taller than the houses. Come on, he could step across the river. Marching through a model village. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what it felt like. So yeah, that that was my comparison. It, ITV weather forecasts. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with that world map I, I when i was a kid i felt like that was the biggest thing i'd ever seen like like holy shit mm-hmm. this this world is massive and it, it felt at the time it's how i feel about an open world game like now like oh i can explore everywhere but like when you go back to it it's very it's a very linear map like you mm. can only really go to like one of once you've left one place there's really only like one or two places you can go but at the time, it felt like I had an entire world to explore. I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I didn't even consider like how they designed it to like funnel you through. It just felt like I was exploring it on my own, of my own volition. It's probably easier to see the, the, uh, the tricks being played now with the way the open worlds have changed. But at the time, I was like completely suckered in. I thought I was finding these things like organically. <laughs> I'm really glad like, it was linear because I'd have got lost. I did get yeah. lost. I went back into Midgard like three times before I realised where I was supposed to go. I, I, fl- I flew past Midgard a lot when I was in the airship. I was like completely lost. Like, where the fuck is the goddamn uh, Temple of the Ancients? And I kept flying past the wrong place. Like, no, it's not there. Fucking. And like, oh, is this it? It's in the middle of nowhere. No, that's fucking Golden Saucer. Jesus Christ, where is it? That's definitely a thing that gets me. Like, I know the game really well uh, up to a point, and then I just have to start looking at. Um, like walkthroughs and stuff like that just to make sure so it's when you get to the high wind and when you get the submarine as well but the submarine especially because obviously you can't see necessarily where you're going and some of the gaps under the water are very small like when you get to that the little vincent side section where he meets his uh former love and sephiroth's mum uh that 
like that took me so long to find even with a guide telling me how to go because that, yeah. it's not easy to find in the submarine and then trying to like yeah just get about because obviously once you're in the high winds you can go absolutely anywhere it's all open to you yeah and i found that very confusing at times it's like where like i know where some of these things are but what is is that dot the way i want to go what is this one i don't know if i've been here yet how do you get to wutai because it's <laughs> there but you have to land away from it to actually go there yeah i like i missed having a map with names on it like i so i had many tabs open while i was playing this <laughs> oh, game, yes. like a various different walkthroughs and one of them was just a map with the place names on it because i've got so used to games now like showing you objectives show you where to go naming things on a map as you would expect that i remember like trying to navigate this one and i'd just be like i don't know what the dots are like which <laughs> dot am i supposed to be going to and then obviously you get the blue dots to represent the different bits of transport but i didn't read that i was like why are there now blue dots do i need to go to the blue dot like what is happening <laughs> So, yeah, yeah, and you, you, all you get is like a character briefly saying, oh, yeah, Severoth went south to Nibelheim. And then you're like, okay, but where is that? No, I'm not going to tell you. You'll yeah. have to find it now. You will have no help it's whatsoever. <laughs> you're on your own, fucker. <laughs> that, well, that's like most 90s games, really. They're just like, you're on oh, your own, yeah, fucker. Definitely. Yeah. Like, <laughs> good <is> luck. <laughs> most 90s games. You're on your own, fucker. <laughs> you mentioned. Briefly, they're my two least favourite words in gaming. <laughs> Which I don't know if Golden this is saucer. the right place for me to maybe bring up my criticism of the game. I like the quiver in your voice. Yeah, just... it's like, is this, is the, this the same space? It's like you heard me reach for the bat. <laughs> just a disclaimer, there will be no violence between hosts on this podcast. Oh, no, we can't guarantee that. Just emotion. <laughs> it's going to be purely emotional violence. So I think this hampered my enjoyment of the game a lot. The the fact that it's a linear game hiding behind the idea of being open world, but not actually being open world. And so for me, it felt like whenever I was meandering about, sort of, in, you know, feeling a bit directionless. It, it felt like I wasn't progressing. If you weren't, if you weren't moving through the story, you weren't progressing. I one hundred percent would not have done this game without a walkthrough. But what I find really interesting is even people who have played it and loved it can't or don't choose to do this game without walkthroughs. I think that says a lot about the game. I'm sorry. I I think well, as someone who time, is obviously was... oh yeah no no and I I think though. It feels like a valid reason for me to come into this and try playing it again now to just look at it and go, I don't, I understand why this wasn't for me in the 90s because I just felt frustrated playing it. And now the hook never really felt like the gameplay. Um, it always yeah. seems to have been the story. And so those open world elements, but they're not really truly because you couldn't really go back to stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that was um, like kept behind gates like so whether it was characters or whether it was you know little bits that you could be given and i just think even looking at this through the eyes of obviously i feel quite passionate I, I know we all do but i see things through that eye because my son being autistic i see things through the idea of accessibility and i don't know if it's because i'm sort of neurodiverse myself i totally like can understand and identify quite acutely why this game didn't work for me i found that quite a frustrating part of the game that it 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 had 
the idea of freedom, but it wasn't actually free. And if you got lost, it was just, it just felt like you were just then stuck in a limbo in the game until you worked out what you were doing, which I totally understand is really great for a lot of people who love that. And that's fine. I'm all for it. It just, yeah. Um, I couldn't play it without cheats and I couldn't play it without a walkthrough. Sorry. No, don't apologise. Like, I think it's a very fair criticism. Cause I, 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 when I first played it, I didn't need a walkthrough. Like, I, I could just, I just kind of like instinctively went along with it. I understood where I was supposed to go next, all these things. But coming back to it, after several generations of like gaming evolving and changing, like different quality of life additions to games, like Becky said, like objectives and. Uh, markers on maps and stuff like that now i have to play i do have to con- constantly like address like a, a guide to work out what i'm supposed to do next even a game i i know i know the story like i know how it plays out but it's remembering how to get to the next stage i'll, I'll get lost or like, i'll need help like like jumping making a timed jump at like on the wall to leading up to Shinra Tower. I remember like I could do that perfectly when I played it as a kid. Playing it now, I had to check uh I had to check a Reddit to find out how to make a jump to like because I was using like a modern sensibility of like <laughs> following my eyes and like timing the jump like that. But exactly what I was supposed to be doing well. was I was supposed to listen for the sound and then react to the sound. And I wasn't doing that. I was like completely I was in a modern mindset. And it was something I had to kind of went on this replay. I had to kind of start to like deprogram a lot of my modern sense of it. Like Becky said, I had to like start getting rid of all of these, like letting go of the comforts that I was used to, and kind of going into a game that's a lot more unforgiving, and a lot more like obtuse. Yeah. At the time, that was very like it was a very appealing thing having a game that was just like it demanded your entire focus. Because I had a lot of free time, so like <laughs> I, I was perfectly happy to like just throw myself into it. I don't even know that it's a a modern versus retro thing because I play a lot of retro games. I play, uh, you know, this generation especially, much like I think many of us, this was kind of my uh, maybe a little bit earlier because it was SNES, I arguably, but like PlayStation One was like when I you know got pulled into gaming hook line and sinker sort of thing. Yeah, I just, I think for me, like, I turned off the random battle stuff because that just felt like fighting with no purpose, and so it didn't feel fun, and it, I guess I'm an impatient person these days, and maybe some of that is a side effect of leading a very busy life these days. Ooh. Yeah, I just think it, it wasn't, it didn't feel super accessible, even with cheats and stuff on. Um, like I say, I, I very much had to refer to walkthroughs and like it's it's a gaming experience in and of itself. It's not even one I've really experienced with other JRPGs because I've played quite a few and it's it's a genre that I generally love. That was where a lot of my frustration was was born was because it actually is a linear story, but it just felt like there was stuff to miss because they kind of built in open world elements, but it wasn't actually really that. So I found myself getting frustrated. Yeah, I mean, I would agree. I I think, and I've said this, I said this earlier, that it took me so long to get used to the mechanics of it and the gameplay style that I think had I not been playing it for the podcast, I don't think I would have carried on because I did find it frustrating. 
I developed a twitch whenever the random encounters kicked yes. off. <laughs> Everybody um, has a twitch, yeah. Yeah, and like just like having to work within a map that was both 3D and 2D at the same time like the um the bit where you're trying to make your way through to the the market and you've got that pipe and you have to go underneath something to go up something and down something and oh christ yeah yeah and i just couldn't click into seeing where things were interactive like for me i love open worlds and i love rpgs in in a contrast to sasha so it was sort of surprising to me that i didn't get to grips with this as quickly as i thought i was going to I'm glad I've played it because I enjoyed the story and I liked the characters, but the mechanics of it did really put me off at first. Um, and even then I had to switch on cheats. I had walkthroughs. I was asking you guys for advice when I got stuck. Um, I'd like to have games that challenge me, but I like to feel like I can overcome that challenge and I'm not just sort of running around in circles as a giant person on a map. Not really know where they're going. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's. I think they're both very fair criticisms of the game. Like it's obviously hard for me and Andy because we're so ingrained in this game. You know, it's not even this style of game. This game in particular, because I know that I've gone back and tried to play Final Fantasy. Wait, which one's Blitzball? Is that nine or ten? Ten. Ten. I've tried to play ten, and I tried to play fifteen, and uh, never finished either of them. And, you know, I remember going into those games thinking, this isn't this isn't Final Fantasy. Like, I've played one, and I'm like, this isn't Final Fantasy, because it's not like, the same it's, mechanics yeah. as it's seven. It's not the one you want. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine trying to play this game, like, for the first time nowadays, without having that affection for it and trying to get to grips with everything, because that game has so much. Like, yeah, it's got this, it's, like, it's very linear dense story. Game. Yeah, yeah, and there's so much to it, and there's so much you can miss. Like, even playing it around this time, having played it as many times as I have, there are a couple of scenes that I saw that I was like, I've never seen this before. This is really cool. There's a scene yes. with Cloud and Zack in a truck, and I was like, I have never seen this. This is amazing. It blew my mind a little bit. And I just think there's so many switches like that in the game with uh, things you can find, things you can do. Like, working out, if you're playing this game without cheats, trying to work out you know how to beat an enemy and its weaknesses and stuff like that could easily take you four or five goes and uh, and with a system that uses save points as opposed to save anywhere Uh, that could be incredibly frustrating and uh yeah no i totally understand those criticisms completely i had completely forgotten the trauma of save points (laughs) um i'm so used to auto saves now or being able to just save the game that getting used to if i died I would go back to the last save point. And the first time it happened, I must have lost a good like hour of gameplay and was sat there on my sofa like, oh, oh, oh yeah, oh no. <laughs> so at that point, every <laughs> opportunity I got, I was like, save, I'll save again just to make sure, save a third time just in case. <laughs> so yeah, I think I've got like three different versions of the same game because I was just saving it so many times. <laughs> I think I, so, as soon as I saw how many save points there were like I it just put the fear in me and so <laughs> automatically I just went into like we've literally we've only just done a thing like two minutes ago and then we're walking past the save point again but let's save like, yeah oh yeah I was like I'll, I'll go like five feet or something in the, on the world map and like save immediately before I enter a new place or just like I'm, I'm nowhere near a new place but I'll still save just in case yeah. you can see some monster comes out of nowhere and attacks me yeah, I think it's just a thing with that 
time they had like save points like the resident evil games were defined by save points and mm. you have to like be kit like you have to be strategic about when you save and like this yeah is, like resource yeah. management and saving the game at the right point where you're like your inventory is good enough for whatever comes next like things like yeah. that that i've just not necessarily forgotten but it's just something that you don't necessarily have to think about with a lot of these games now you have quick save features you have you know you can load up a, a save from like a couple of hours ago if you really mess up whereas this it felt like the stakes were that much higher because it was fixed yeah this this kind of brings me to uh how I, yeah how i kind of tripped myself up with save points when it came to the boss battle that i got stuck on for hey. what felt like a month it was <laughs> entirely possible it was just a long weekend in december because it was the christmas break or it could have been a week but it felt like a lot longer <laughs> because i'd i'd done my save and like normally i'd be saving multiple times like multiple save slots but because back then like you had limited save space on your memory cards i started dedicating more of my time to one save slot and there was a like a five hour gap or something between the two the the first one and the second one and i got stuck on this boss battle i encountered it was in the underwater reactor and it was a carry armor that like robot that looks like kind of a robot crane that you fight before you get to the submarine that's quite a tough section that bit it was a lot tougher than it should have been, though. Uh, <laughs> I, I was getting really close. Like I just, re- I didn't realize that I was too lower level and I didn't have enough portions, or that I maybe I did realize it and I was just being extremely stubborn. But I just kept trying different strategies, timing my health, like my uh, health portions and stuff differently, and it just I kept coming short every time. Uh, it got to a point where I started thinking. The game's music is psyching me out. So I turned the game's music <laughs> off and I started playing like whatever CDs I had. I listened to a hell of a lot of the Verve's Urban Hymns in that fight during that fight scene. <laughs> to the point where I can't hear the drugs don't work without seeing that fucking battle <laughs> here in my brain. It's oh, it's ruined a lot of great nineties Britpop songs, like that fucking <laughs> boss battle. I Oh god. I even tried meditating before the <laughs> before fights because I thought I needed to clear my head and change my mindset, and it didn't work. I did everything except just like accept my fate, take the go that go to the five hour ago save point, level up a lot more, and buy a lot of portions. I just kept refusing to do it, and at a certain point, I was just like, I'm I'm not getting any younger. I've got to just do this. <laughs> five hours I'll, I'll do it I'll, I'll spend like six hours like leveling up or something like that and yeah if I, by the time i met her again i killed it the first time i tried I like, <laughs> really really it was that easy was it it took more time than the fucking sephiroth final boss battle i was like oh my god are you fucking kidding me it's still i'm still traumatized by that whole scene it's like this is your real heartbreak of the game <laughs> Uh, before we move on from like the gameplay stuff, um, I'm gonna. There's a question from the Enigma Griff on Twitter. Who was your ultimate three? For me, it was Cloud, Sid, and Vincent. Ooh, that's an interesting mix. Ooh. Becky, who who was your core three that you used? Cloud, Red Thirteen, and Tifa. Sasha, did you have a uh, weirdly? Preference? Weirdly, it was the same as Becky. 
Yes. Yeah. High five. Chip. High five. Uh, I had two. Uh, so I had uh, Eris and uh, Red 13, and I had uh, Barrett and Tifa. So I, I was a pretty basic bitch for this whole thing. I, I stuck <laughs> mainly stuck to the core group. It was uh, Barrett and Tifa alternating, and Eris was like a fixed party member because like yeah, she seemed the most important to the story, but she was also like helpful for healing yes. back when you didn't have the cheat mode to save your ass. The limit break and stuff. Yeah, um, yeah she was there. Yeah, that was me as well. Um, until and then, the, and for a while, yeah. And then Tifa and Barrett just, you know, they, they took the spot. But that I had to basically change my entire combat philosophy once I didn't have Ares to help, like, save my ass in a fight. But apparently I didn't take it on enough because by the time I got to carry armor, I still wasn't healing myself properly. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I was still I was still grieving. I think we've talked about how the game plays and we've talked about the story. So let's talk about like the the other element that is what makes the game so important historically. Uh, it's the visuals and the sound. So first of all, we'll start with a question from friend of the podcast, in inverted commas, Ben, <laughs> Duke of Benningham on Twitter. Why does everyone remember this game fondly when it looks like turd now? Final <laughs> Fantasy VI for the win. Can you can you ban someone from uh, downloading a podcast? I'm going to try. Can. First of all, fuck you, Ben. <laughs> I agree. And I don't have a second thing. <laughs> no, that's enough. I think you've said it all there. Have you, though? Yes. Mm. Have you, though? Yes. Have you, though? <laughs> I mean, like, we can say it again if you want. <laughs> Fuck you, Ben. <laughs> it's, it's just something that, like, it's like context and everything. Like, the, the, the game was a game changer visually at the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, maybe it doesn't look as good as some of the games that followed almost immediately in that generation. Like Final Fantasy VIII already looked like a like quantum leap ahead of Final Fantasy VII, but uh, at the opening sequence, like the introduction of like blending in in-game graphics and with the cinematics, it was it was revolutionary really at the time. It completely blew my mind. It, like it changed how how I thought games could be could tell stories. It was there was nothing like it at the time really. Like they did it a lot throughout the game, but I think the opening with the train station and everything like that that was the that's the one that sticks in my head the most. Like it just, it was, it was something new entirely. The remaster kind of lets it down a bit because the character models are a lot cleaner and the pre-rendered backgrounds, so it stands out a lot more. But like the original, like there was less of a clear distinction between the environments and the character, so it it, it kind of blended a bit better, or or as good as it possibly could at the time. And there's what six or seven like special cutscenes in that game where it's. Like at the time, I was like, "Well, games are never going to look better than this." You know, oh, it's yeah. like when you do <laughs> the escape from the uh, Shinra headquarters. At yeah, the, I was going to uh, mention that. Yeah. Like, it looks so good, and like, well, I mean, it doesn't now because when it when it came up, I was excited for it. I was like, "Oh yeah, here comes that bit that I really love." And it's like, ah, it kind of looks like ass now, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> it at the time it was amazing, but like now they move stiffer than a starched corpse. It's like, <laughs> I was always so excited for those moments whenever they popped up as well. It's like, oh, it's the bit where it looks like human flesh. And it's so like, I, oh, no, things have changed. So They've moved on. <laughs> now, now I, like, in hindsight, I would have preferred they just stick with the using the, the character models yeah. for a lot yeah. of the stuff. I, I would have honestly preferred that because it was visually consistent and they had already shown that they could do like quite dynamic stuff with it. 
like in terms of like camera angles and cinematics and stuff. Yeah, I found the the transitions quite jarring, especially because like with the arms, like the arms in game look like rolls of plasticine that just got squished in the middle, <laughs> and it yeah. was quite jarring to go from like squished plasticine arms to arms that looked like arms. <laughs> and yeah, it just yeah. like I can see why it was revolutionary at the time and why it was such a big deal. But yeah, it, like I think it's one of those decisions that maybe in hindsight hasn't helped the game age quite so well. No, games will never look better than this. This is the best looking game ever. Okay, Look, I the polyhedron characters are very cute, right? Yeah, like they're, they're but, a good like they're, there's good a possible way of making those at the time 16-bit designs like 3D. It was they they tried. But it does look like turd. <laughs> Can you ban someone from co-hosting a podcast? <laughs> we can, no, we, you we can't can try. ban Sasha. If you get rid of Sasha, you get rid of me, and then it's just you Thank two you, farting ben. about. Well, so. tune in next month to Mine and Andy's podcast about <laughs> Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> so so I, I, still, I, still like, I still like the character models. Like the, I mean, they've got a charm to them, especially when you get close-ups and you can see like the eyes and the mouth like kind of like look like they're drawn on almost. But like, I like the animations like of the, those characters. They're very basic, but Barrett, when he's in a rage, he's like, and like you see Red 13 like scratching his own ear, or like Air is putting a hand behind her back and stuff like that. Red 13's walk when he's trying to be a human is possibly the funniest moment of the game. (laughs) And one like I really wanted to replicate just like around my house, like (laughs) wiggling. It was great. Well, no one's stopping you, Becky. You should definitely do that. I probably will, to be honest. <laughs> Just on that, while we're talking about um, Red 13 dressed as a sailor, we need to talk about Barrett dressed as a sailor. <laughs> oh, he's so cute. <laughs> because that that's a thing yeah, that I'm here for. That was very amusing. Especially because he's really angry at that point in the story as well, isn't <laughs> <Yeah>. he? <laughs> uh, when is Barrett so not angry? And so cross. It, it's, that's just kind of, it gives me flashbacks to my, like, one of my auntie's weddings, like, I had to dress up like a sailor, and I was furious about it. <laughs> I, was, I mean, I was very young, just to clarify, this wasn't recent. <laughs> no, sorry, was, that's, my, that's my visual now. Headcanon now is that, did yeah. it, yeah. it, it was a year ago, and it was exactly the suit that Barrett was wearing in that scene. Yeah, and you just looked furious throughout the whole thing. It, it was that same kind of suit. Amazing. I also I I, do, I still really love the uh, the combat like graphics. I still think those models like are beautifully like rendered, especially like the in in the remaster. The remaster does a good job with those. I think like cleans everything up really nice, so you get to appreciate all the the work that's gone into those characters and the very strange monsters. At last, can I ask my question, Becky. please? <laughs> yes. Why was there a man in a teapot burping at me? The question, the answer is why not? And also, why was there a house attacking me? Because sometimes houses are scary. And there was a giant egg for no apparent reason. Yes, that was strange. <laughs> it's it's the Marco. Yeah, it does some crazy shit. Yeah. Yeah, but I just, I like, I want to know what the designers were on that whole oh, I don't time. Know if you do. because... so, so you can have some more, so you can avoid it. <laughs> Both. <laughs> Just insanity, like the the biker truck thingy. Oh yeah, the fucking the thing that was like a monster, but it was also like a bike. Yeah, 
chip you bought a vending machine at one point yes i did why yes, was I there did. a vending machine <laughs> like, i don't know i just i i, I love all those mate, designs Marco. i have yeah, so I many questions and none of them are answered in any way it's, other than yeah, it's so unapologetically Marco. weird yeah yeah <laughs> it's just like no this is this is the way it is so you know get on board or get killed by yeah. a house <laughs> and we'll turn you into a frog <laughs> oh the frogs were so confusing Red 13 in mine spent most of the Zephyroth battle as a frog because I yes. didn't realise that's what had happened <laughs> and was just like missing it in the animation every time I was going around and was like why is he only doing one HP damage like this is ridiculous um, and I had the cheats on as well so like he should have been doing more and then it panned around and I was like oh he's a frog wait what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I completely forgot about the frog thing, like, on this replay. I equipped everybody with stuff to protect them from, like, silence and falling falling asleep and stuff like that. I completely forgot to equip anything that would stop him from turning into a frog. So, like, Cloud got turned into a frog when he was battling Sephiroth. And I was really concerned that when it gets to the final confrontation, where the first each other and, like, Cloud's <laughs> about to let rip with the Omni Slash, that he'd be a frog for that part. So, oh, thank God this did change him back to normal. So I'd, that would kind of that'd kill the drama for me a little bit. Just, just I'll possibly a bit. make it better. I don't know. I, 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 I think I quite like want to see Frog Cloud swinging a massive sword at Zephyroth. Yeah. <laughs> I think that would be amusing. Can we talk about the summon animations as well? Oh, because yes. I still think they are great. Oh, I yeah, love they're the summons. Still really cool. I really like the idea that halfway through a battle you can just summon a god. Like, yes. Yeah, it's pretty handy. Yeah, it's pretty handy. Casually, like Odin. Yeah, <laughs> my call. Now we're going to talk about the music of Final Fantasy VII, and honestly, I, I just love everything on the soundtrack, like every single theme, basically. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed the score and the kind of how it copes with the tonal shifts, especially when you go from something like. Um, the marketplace where it's all like funky tunes <laughs> to like battling Zephyroth where it's like full on choral Karl of yes. nightmares. Yeah, you're right about like the tonal shifts, like like going from Costa del Sol to like the Shinra theme, like in the same scene, like Shinra arrive at Costa del Sol and all that happy music suddenly. Dun, tsh, dun, dun, tsh. <laughs> oh god, the bad guys are here They're to ruin here. ruin our beach holiday. <laughs> Like the, the the chocobo uh, music, and then there's like obviously like like we said, Sephiroth's got two themes because yeah. he's so evil. He needs two themes. He's so extra. I loved those chosen by the planet. That's my favorite one, the one where he's when he's gone insane. But also one wing angel is just so ludic- <gasps> ludicrously arch. It's just perfect for. <laughs> it's just perfect it, for yeah, a guy who's got a literal god complex. It's just. <laughs> I love the uh, the boss theme as well. Like when you meet a boss and it goes into it and it's like oh, it's like yes, come on, I'm gonna fuck up this giant monster. Let's go. And then yeah. you die. And then you die. <laughs> it's a this may be a surprise, but it is my favorite gaming soundtrack of all time. Color me surprise. Yeah. I know. I'm just gonna let it hang out there for a second. Yeah, I love it. I love every single song on it. I will not skip past a single one. When, whenever I do something well in my life, I do like. Like to hum the victory fanfare. <laughs> I don't use it very often. <laughs> oh, well, that got sad really quick. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, a lot of the, like, you know, the, the game's quite sad. 
there's a lot of a lot of the a lot of my favorite themes in the game are like melancholic like the prelude like the first bit of music you hear is very uh it's got like a sadness to it but kind of hopeful like Eris's themes the same kind of way Tifa's theme is just very I don't know, like a, it's how do I describe like a sad memory that's what it kind of sounds like like you're mm. remembering something sad from your life there's a, there's a lot of that in the game like and there's all the more lively stuff like Cosmo Canyon and the Golden Saucer stuff. Oh, the, the, do you know what? I think maybe the Golden Saucer one, I do love it, but maybe it's my least favourite because that is one that really burrows in your brain. Like That yes. one stays there. So we've kind of covered everything with the game up to this point, um, so let's kind of wrap things up a bit. So uh, let's have our final thoughts. Let's go with Sasha first, just so she doesn't get like thrown under the bus <laughs> following Chip. I feel I hit my final thoughts right up at the start. <laughs> yes, it, you, with, your it, final thoughts were your first thoughts. Yeah, they were. It, yeah, it, it was fine. I liked the story, but I could have done without the majority of the gameplay, and I, it just wasn't. Yeah, it, I, I I found the gameplay just hampered my experience of it. And that was even with a whole bunch of stuff to make it more accessible. It weren't for me, and I think that's absolutely more than fine. There are other RPGs and JRPGs that use, you know, the same battle systems that I like better. And I think that's fine. Says you. Yes, says me. <laughs> I'm so, really shit, sorry, well, I was gonna but I go. don't feel the way that you guys did, and I'm no, sorry. But, but... No, I, d- I don't think anybody would have expected that, to be fair. Like, it'd, no. be, it'd be very difficult to, for you to have that same attachment that we have. Yeah, I'd be really surprised if anyone played it for the first time nowadays and felt about it the way we do. Like, that would surprise me a lot, if that yeah. was the case. Yeah, like, like I said earlier on, like it's like Star Wars. You need to, you need to experience it your way to get that attachment. You can't just have somebody say, here's this thing that's really important and then expect them to be able to have that same reaction. You've got to accept that people come at things from different perspectives, but you're still wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, so, uh, Chip, your final thoughts? Uh, pretty much the same as Sasha. <laughs> Liar. No, this is... Um, clearly, this is... Uh, this is more than a game for me. Um, it, it came to me at a very pivotal point in my life. It did very good things for me at that pivotal point in my life. I love it. It's my favourite game of all time. It will never not be my favourite game of all time. It it means a lot to me. A, a great deal. You got me emotional there, Chip. Uh, Becky, what about you? I, I'm so happy you put me following Chip. <laughs> I, I just, I've done it to Sasha too many times. <laughs> like... I like the story and I like the characters and I'm glad I played it. I'm glad I have like the knowledge of it now um, as it was such a pivotal game. But it's not for me, I think, is the most diplomatic way of putting it. I think I found it a bit too frustrating and a bit too challenging. But like I said, I'm, I'm glad to have had the experience. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Like, I think for me and Chip, like what we... What, what we feel most strongly about is the story and the characters. For, for me, like Final Fantasy VII is, is, is beautifully me- melancholic, is the way I'd put it. Like all, almost all of the characters in the game, uh, they're like 
wounded in like somewhere, even the villains. And like as a as a kid when I first played it, they were all just kind of cool, tragic sort of characters that I'd latch onto. And I just because I just liked how how they looked and how they acted and things. But as like the older I got, the more like hurt and sadness that I accrued through life. You know, like the more meaningful the characters became and the story became. Because like, through all of the like the wild plot twists, and like because there's a lot of plot twists, and like the, the manic tonal shifts that you have to like just hold on to to like try and keep up with, it's basically like it's just, it's a story about healing. That all, all the characters are trying to like make sense of their world, like the things that have been taken from them, the things that trying to fight to hold on to, like even the planet itself is trying to. Is like it's wounded and it's trying to heal itself, and it, it it's really rare for a game from my like youth to have like grown more meaningful and more valuable to me as a person, like the older I get. But this is one of them. Like it's like Chip said, it's more than just a game. It it's beyond measure what I can say what this game means to me. Throughout my entire life, it's been something really special. It, it changed everything for me. It changed how I perceive video games as an art form. It changed my relationship with gaming. It took gaming from just like a hobby to a passion. It's like the reason I write about games. It's the reason I'm doing this podcast. And like without games, I probably might not have met you guys. And like that is just un- un- unthinkable. And so uh, what can I say really? Um, like when when I loaded up the remake, I don't want to talk about it that much. But I, I think let's think it was when I heard the prelude again, and I, I just I cried when I heard it, because like before up to that point it had been like a rough few years, and it was the start of what felt like it was going to be a really hard year, and holy fuck I had no idea how hard, <laughs> and the feeling that like, came over me was like, it was like finding home again after being lost for a while. And like not like the physical structure or anything like that, but you know the state of feeling somewhere familiar and somewhere safe, and that's like Final Fantasy VII to me. It's uh, my anchor to feeling safe and and happy. So there's nothing else like it in the medium, or any medium that will mean as much to me as Final Fantasy VII. Not Star Wars, not Spider Man, like things that have like meant the world to me. None of them can touch Final Fantasy VII. I load this game up like once a year and like any hurt I might be carrying at the time it just peels away for a while and then like I feel like I just feel like that kid again whose biggest problem in the world was fighting that fucking robot in the submarine hangar. <laughs> Andy you're gonna make me cry. So yeah that's 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 Final Fantasy 7. Sorry I need a moment. Yeah. Segway. <laughs> Segway. So, as um, the host, it's my job to do a recommendation for something video game related for you all to try out this month. And this month, I am recommending Sexy Waluigi. Oh no, Andy! <laughs> no! Nope. No! Yes, yes, it's happening. Do not taint this. Nope, I, it's wow. happening. You just made one no. of like, the most I... beautiful conclusions to a podcast. I already had Sexy Waluigi written down, so this was already planned. 
Andy. It's not related to Final Fantasy VII. Come on. It doesn't I, have to be related to Final Fantasy VII. I respect it. <laughs> you would. You would. <laughs> no. No. No, look. Yes. Look, if we, if, if we cannot accept... No, I'm not looking at anything. Stop showing it to me. <laughs> Chip, Chip, look, if we can't accept Waluigi as a sexual being, then we will never progress as a society. So... So basically all I want you Amazing. to do is Google Sexy Waluigi and let's have a look to see what's going on. I mean, you assume I already haven't. I, I know you have. It's fine. <laughs> I'm not going to. I was not he's, expecting this tone of shift and I am uncomfortable. There's, there's one in him. He's wearing suspenders with no shirt on and he looks ripped. That's quite good. Oh, Christ. This took a turn. What is happening right now? It's like Final Fantasy VII, wild tonal shifts. How dare you? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> How dare you taint this thing we've just had? Big fan, Andy. Very proud. I don't proud. really know what to do with myself now. Oh, there's one where he's wearing a bra. I that's want a shower. That, that's nice. I want to scrub myself clean from this. <laughs> so yes, uh, so Google sexy Waluigi. Have a good time. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> what did you expect? <laughs> Not sexy Waluigi. No. Well, I, I've been I've been threatening it for a long time, so. Oh Christ. So uh, yeah, thank you for being with us, even through the, the sexy Waluigi stuff. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, then please give us a subscribe on your podcast platform of choice, and leave a five star review wherever possible. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at OneUpPod. That is. One U P P odd. Uh, you can follow me personally if you want to. After that, on um, uh, Twitter at truly underscore defective. And um, Sasha, where can they find you? I am at Bashit Demonhead on Twitter, Twitch, and wherever else you might find social media or gaming things. Uh, Becky, what about you? I am Becky Gracely on Twitter, which is L E A, and you can also find me there on Instagram with that handle as well and um, Chip where can people DM you pictures of sexy Waluigi <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can come and get blocked by me on Twitter uh, at the Chip Thompson and you can't send pictures on Twitch but you can come and say hello there anyway where I am Chip Thompson's thumbs so uh, you know, once again uh, uh, thank you so much for joining us uh, we'll be back next month for L.A. Noir and it's Cavalier Approach to Misogyny <laughs> Wow. (laughs) Amongst its many crimes. There will be thoughts, no doubt. And please remember to get a life and play video games. (laughs) 